as we look at today's message, it's, it's almost like building a house, and I want to lay a solid foundation for a moment to show you how the Lord works. Very different than how the enemy works, but in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, beginning in verse 19, Joseph said to them, he's talking about his brothers, and he said to them, do not fear, for am I in a place of God? He asked a question, and then he said this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God's ways are very different than our ways. Then we see the, the New Testament equivalent to that. We're going to see in Romans chapter 8. And the Bible says here, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. As you think about those two verses, laying the foundation again, God's purpose, God's ways, very different than ours. As you think about the work of God, the word purpose is a big word. One of the best-selling books in the Christian life outside the Bible has been The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Sold literally millions upon millions of copies. But as you think about purpose, most of us are looking for purpose. Well, God, what is your purpose for my life when it comes to vocation or marriage or a purchase in some way? But have you ever stopped and asked the question to say, God, why did you allow this? What is your purpose in this? God, why did you allow the job loss that I went through? God, why did you allow me to have cancer and to go through that journey? God, why did you allow that storm into my life? What is your purpose in a job loss? What is your purpose in cancer? God, what is your purpose in a storm in life? What is your purpose? And I imagine Peter could come to this point when it comes to this idea of being sifted. This is a sifter, a sieve, as some would say. And you think about the sifting process. God, why did you allow me to be sifted? What's the purpose behind that? Maybe the Lord is going to allow you to go through a period of sifting in your own life. And why would he allow that? Let me ask you these questions. When did you come to know Jesus as your Savior? When did you turn from your sin, what we would understand is repentance, and put your faith in Christ? And through that experience, how is he, the Lord Jesus, growing you in your walk, your relationship with him? I think about Peter a lot. And I think about when the Lord called him. And Peter, here he is following Jesus and going to be used in ministry. I wonder, Peter, ever wonder, what is it going to be like to know him but to follow him and to serve him? And I wonder if Peter ever thought, well, how's he going to grow me? And same for us, when we give our lives to Christ and we start following him and we hear his call and he wants to use us, what, what do we think it's going to be like? In our disciple-making process, we talk about becoming like him being a learner and follower of him. Sure, we, we like Bible studies. Lord, use the Bible to grow me in my relationship with you. We also think about mission trips. We go on mission trips around the world. So Lord, use that mission experience to grow me in my relationship with you. And then we think about intentional relationships because relationships are critical when it comes to discipleship. Lord, will you use those relationships to grow me and to develop me that I'll become in the likeness of Christ. But let me ask you this. What if the Lord Jesus in your life wants to use suffering in your life to grow you? Are you ready for that? And what if the Lord Jesus gives permission to the enemy to sift you in your walk with him? But he wants to use that suffering or sifting to grow you. And our disciple-making strategy in the morning in our staff devotion we're going to have a conversation about making disciples. And our disciple-making strategy, yes, the Bible is important, 
Uh, yes, mission trips are important. Yes, intentional relationships are important. But in our disciple-making strategy, are we okay with suffering and sifting as a way to grow us in the Christian life? We come to this text today, and uh, I'm, I'm challenged by God's word in the book of Acts when it says, preach the whole counsel of God. Because there were times in the preparation, I thought, well, Lord, there's another four-letter word I could preach other than sift. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me get away from that because, again, I've, I've called you to preach the whole counsel of God. And, and I believe there's a message in my life and from this text that the Lord wants to use in our lives today when it comes to sifting us as believers but also as a church. Look at Peter's life. Peter, here he was, fisherman, called on the shores of the Sea of Galilee to come and to follow Jesus, the Lord to make him a fisher of men. Peter obeyed immediately and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we are in this context that the, the Satan, our adversary, the evil one, is asking for permission to sift Peter's life. And Jesus is going to do something in his life that's going to be transformational for Peter. It'll be transformational for you and me. But when you come and look at the Christian life again, what is he talking to you? What is he saying to you? And what does God's word teach us about sifting? This, this sermon, I got an email yesterday I thought was hilarious. Got an email from a company yesterday and they talked about the, how difficult sermon preparation was. And they talked about you know, how hard it was and how many hours and all those things like that. And then they tried to introduce me to AI, artificial intelligence, to help me write sermons. Well, can I just tell you, this sermon didn't come from artificial intelligence. This sermon came from prayer and study and the Word of God. And so I want you to walk through this because, again, I, I desire to preach the whole counsel of God to you here at First Baptist Church and those who are watching around the world. Well, here's some things I want you to walk through. Look at number one on the outline. The enemy is still working. I hope you know and I believe you do that spiritual warfare, spiritual battles are real in the Christian life. The enemy's going to come against you and me as individuals. He's going to come against us as a church. And we're going to see his goal here in just in a moment. It's not to build us up, but it's to tear us down. The enemy is still working. All we have to do is look around the world and we see what the enemy is up to. All at times we have to look in our own city and we see what the enemy is up to. And all we have to do at times is look in our own lives and we see how the enemy is seeking to come against us. Waging war, fighting battles. That's why it's important to be ready, but the enemy is still working. Luke chapter 22, I encourage you just to find your place there in God's word and look at these things here because the Lord's gonna give us some direction about this text. He says in the beginning, Simon, Simon. We're talking about Peter. Anytime the Lord uses a name and, and just a double time there, there's significance to it. So Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter. Again, what do we know about Peter? Peter is a leader. He's always out in front. He would speak first. Oftentimes it wasn't super sanctified, but he would speak. Any of us like that in life? That's how Peter was, but it's very direct to hear to Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan, that's your adversary. That's the enemy. He's the one that's coming after you. And it says he has demanded. What does that word demanded mean? The word demanded means he's asked for you. Peter, he's begging for your life. Peter, he desires to have you. And so Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan, your adversary, the enemy, he is asking, begging, desires to have your life. He desires to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. 
That idea of sift, many people in those days, it would have been an agricultural society, they would have understood clearly what the Lord was saying in that context about sift because they knew that. I know something about farming as well, believe it or not. If you looked at my hands and you shook them, you'd say, you know nothing about farming. You know nothing about hard work. Well, I do know something about farming. I grew up hauling hay. I grew up cutting tobacco. Anybody in the room have a witness on that? When I was growing, that's what we did. I, one of my first jobs I ever had was picking fruit, picking strawberries. A group of us boys in the community, a couple in our, in our community had a strawberry patch, and they hired us to pick strawberries. And I think by the end of the day, on our first day on the job, every single one of us got fired. And it wasn't because we didn't do a good job. We just ate more berries than we picked. And so we look at one, I think I'm going to eat it. And so she finally, she said, I'll never make any money with you boys here. You guys, you don't have to come back tomorrow. But they would have understood what he says, this idea about sifting. The word sift, you may want to write this down. What does this mean? The word sift, when he uses this, that he might sift you like wheat. The word sift just means to shake. Peter, Satan, the adversary, he demands, he's asking, he's begging, he desires to have you. That word you is going to be very significant here in just a moment because it's really not just about Peter, but it's about the disciples because in this context, the word you is plural in the original language. So yes, it's about Peter because he's a leader, but he's also wanting the rest of you as well. And so he wants to sift you. He wants to shake you, Peter. He wants to shake your life. Now, again, he wants to do it because he wants to destroy you. But, Peter, I'm going to give him permission to do that because I want to develop you. Very, very different. That's why Genesis 50, 20, that's how Romans chapter 8, verse 28 matters significantly as well. So what do we see? How does the enemy work? The enemy is still working. How does he work in our lives? Let me get you to write these words down. Number one, strategizes. That's how the enemy works. He is strategizing. You have to realize what his strategy is. Church, you know this. Those who are watching, you, you understand this very well. He does not want to be your friend. When you pick up a snake, a snake is not a pet. A, a snake, to me, is an enemy. And if I see a snake, I'm going the other way. And so the, 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 the Satan does not want to be your friend. He wants to be your foe. You have to understand his desire, according to John chapter 10, verse 10, his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. According to 1 Peter chapter 5, he is like a roaring lion seeking someone whom he can devour. He wants to destroy your life. Here's what he would love to do. Individuals in this room, marriages in this room, couples in this room, families in this room, church, even those who are watching somewhere else around the world, he would love to crush you in your life. If he can crush your life, if he can crush your marriage, he can crush your family, if he can bring chaos to this church, then that is the enemy's desire because the enemy is still working. His goal is not to build you up in the Christian life. His goal is to tear you down. He's strategizing to see where's a weakness. How can I see a crack in the door? How can I get into that person's life, marriage, family, church, even nation? What can I do to bring chaos into their lives? That is his goal. That's how he works. Look at the second word, it speaks. We know this, that when God speaks, he never tells a lie. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 said, God never lies. John chapter 8 verse 44 says this about our enemy. He is the father of lies. And so when, the, when how does the enemy work? He's going to lie to you when he speaks. He's not going to tell you the truth. He will twist the truth and he will lie to you. Oftentimes in the lives of people, here's what the enemy is going to do. He's going to say, I hope you realize this, that God doesn't love you the way you think. 
He'll often try to convince us to say, I hope you know this, that God doesn't care about you the way you think he does. I hope you know this. Your life has no potential whatsoever. You can't trust the promises of God. Your spiritual life is never going to be used of God. He doesn't use people like you. Why? Because he speaks lies. I want you to know, please understand, when you look at the Word of God and you look at how God works through the Holy Spirit in our lives, Almighty God loves you. Almighty God cares about you. Your life is sacred in His eyes. You have spiritual potential. God wants to use you. And our Heavenly Father will be faithful to every single promise He's made. The enemy lies. God speaks the truth. And so when you look at this, He strategizes. He speaks. Number three, He separates. Mark chapter 10, verse 9 says, What the Lord has joined together, let no one separate. The enemy wants nothing more than to separate your marriage. He wants nothing more than to bring dysfunction to your family. He wants nothing more to bring division to this church. He wants to bring chaos in the world. And his goal is to separate. So again, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's why we need to be ready for spiritual battles, spiritual warfare, because his enemy is not to bring together in unity, but it is to separate. And then number four, he sifts. That's what he said to Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He's demanded, he desires to sift you it's wheat. Now, the sifting process, you have to realize when it comes to wheat, you, you plant the seed, you reap the harvest, then you have a threshing floor, then you winnow it, and then you sift it. And so you put it in there and you start sifting it out. You get all the impurities out, whether it's flour, wheat, whatever it may be, you're sifting that. And for Peter, Peter, he wants to sift your life. And here's what, he, again, he's doing the life of Peter. The enemy is at work. He desires to destroy you. But Peter, I'm desiring to develop you because there's some impurities in your life that I know about, you don't know about. There's some impurities in your life and I'm gonna give him permission to sift you because when he sifts you and you turn back, I want you to strengthen the brothers because you're gonna be used in ways that you can't even comprehend right now. I wanna ask you today. There's kids in this room. There are students in this room. There are adults in this room. When you look at your life, and what is the enemy? The enemy was warning Peter. He wanted to sift him. What does the enemy want to do in your life? What is he asking permission to do to you? And if he's asking to sift you and the Lord gives him permission to do so, what are the impurities in your life that need to be removed as a child of God who's been saved in Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. What impurities need to get out of your life? I'm not asking you to just call those out but in your heart, to God's heart, as the Holy Spirit works in your life, how many of you today need to be sifted and said, Lord, I've got a prideful spirit, a prideful heart, a prideful mind. Pride needs to be removed from my life. How many are in the, in the secrecy of your life? You're dealing with pornography. And that doesn't fit who you are in Christ. And you need to allow sifting in your life so that you can get rid of pornography, those images in your life. You need to be set free from that. How many have a critical spirit, a critical attitude? You're not building up, you're seeking to tear down and you need the sifting to happen in your life to say, oh God, I don't wanna go through this life with this negative critical attitude and spirit. So Lord, allow sifting in my life to get rid of those impurities. How many people are addicted to gossip in life? 
We often phrase it as a prayer request, but it's nothing more than gossip. Gossip separates close friends. There's a lot of damage in relationships. And you need the Lord this morning to allow sifting in your life to do what? To get rid of the gossip in your life. How many this morning are dealing with a spirit of unforgiveness? You've been forgiven in Christ. He went to the cross and gave his life for you and shed his blood that you could be forgiven. But for some reason, you've got an angry, bitter, resentful spirit toward other people. And you need him today to set you free from the spirit of unforgiveness and to say, "I'm good. Oh, Lord, change my life, my attitude, my heart. Set me free from an unforgiving spirit and let me release people who have wounded me in life. Oh, Lord, use the sifting process to get that impurity out of my walk with you. Because the enemy wants to destroy you. But the Lord will allow sifting to do what? To cleanse you, to change you, to grow you, and to make you the person that he wants you to be. So you look at how the enemy works. All those different things that I just talked about. I want you to look at number two, very important. The Lord is still praying. Let me ask you today, what are you praying for? Who are you praying for? If I ask you today, and again, I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but just imagine if we did. How many of us are praying for someone who needs a relationship with Christ, lost by name outside of Christ? How many of us, we know someone going through some physical challenges right now, maybe even emotional or mental challenges, and we're calling out to God by name for that individual to experience the healing of God in his or her life? How many of us know someone who's needing direction in life, major decisions, crossroads, fork in the road in life, and you're just asking God, God, give that person wisdom to make the right decision in life. How many of us are praying for someone like that? When you look at this text, you look in, in Luke chapter 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. He might sift you like wheat. But notice these next words. Folks, I'm gonna be transparent. I can't even comprehend if I was Peter, what these words would sound like. Can you imagine what Jesus just said to him? He desires, he's begging, he's asking to sift you. But then Jesus says these words, but Peter, but I have prayed for you. Imagine that. Church, I can't tell you what it means to me on Sundays or emails or text messages, calls, or just seeing you somewhere else and say, hey, I just want you, I'm gonna be praying for you priceless for me. Thank the Lord for that. But, but can you understand this next statement I'm going to make? I, it's such a joy for somebody to come up and not say, hey, I'm going to pray for you, but somebody comes up and says, Pastor, I want you to know this morning or yesterday, whenever it may have been, I want you to know I prayed for you. Not that I'm going to, but I did. Didn't prompt them, didn't ask them. They just sensed the Holy Spirit's leadership to say, I prayed for you. Can you imagine seeing Jesus? You're seeing his face. You're looking into his eyes. You're hearing the reflection of his voice. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, Satan, here's, here's what Satan desires to do with you. But Peter, I want you to know this. Understand this. Look this way, Peter. I have prayed for you. Amazing what that would be like. When you think about Jesus' prayer life, let me just give you a little insight about his prayer life. He, he prayed for other people. Jesus prayed with other people. He prayed alone in solitary places. Uh, Jesus also would pray in nature. He would spend all night on a mountainside praying. 
Jesus also prayed very diverse prayers. Some of his prayers were short. Some of them were very long. But we know a lot about his prayer life and then even the disciples. And when they came to him, we said, what, Lord, teach us to pray because they saw something and heard something in his prayer life that was very different than theirs. Jesus prayed for Peter, but what is he doing for you and for me? Can I just give you some insight to this? Not only does he pray for us and he still makes intercession for us, but here's some other things that only the Lord Jesus can do for us. He saves us. If you know him and you have the assurance you're gonna go to heaven, you didn't save yourself. The deacons didn't save you. The staff didn't save you. The pastor didn't save you. Only Jesus saves you. And so if you're saved today, just, oh Lord, thank you for praying for me, but Jesus, thank you for saving me. And do you realize we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God? Only Jesus, he forgives us. That's what the cross and the shed blood of Christ is about, that we, yes, we've sinned, but we can experience his forgiveness past, present, and future because he surrendered his life, the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus Christ for you and me. He has forgiven us of our sins. He guides us in life. When you come to those forks in the road, you don't have to just guess what you're going to do. The Holy Spirit will give you direction and guidance. Live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He'll make straight your paths. How many this morning just need to erupt with thanksgiving and celebration? Lord Jesus, I was sick. I was facing some adversities and storms, but Jesus, you healed me. Only Jesus would do that. He may have used doctors and medicine to do a lot in your life, but at the end of the day, folks, those are gifts of God, and he has healed you in Christ. Jesus did that. Do you realize he equips us? Do you realize he provides for us? Look at what he's provided for us as individuals, as families, as a church. Listen, this this didn't happen. Jesus has given us all this. And then how many times has he protected us? We can't even comprehend that. Things we don't even know about. I mean, we were seconds away from an automobile crash, but even unbeknownst to us, he protected us in the midst of that. Jesus does all those things, and so he's looking at Peter and says, Peter, I prayed for you. What is Jesus praying for? You write these words down. One is leaders. Folks, if Jesus is praying for leaders, Peter was a leader and he's praying for him. I have prayed for you. Then we need to be praying for leaders as well. You can do a lot in our lives as leaders in this church, but when you pray for us, it is priceless for us. When you call our names out to the Heavenly Father and ask him to use us and to guide us and to protect us, he prays for leaders. Look at the next one, he prays for believers. We see this in John 17. He prayed for those who are following him. We need to be praying for believers for our church as well. He prayed for those who are surrendered our lives and following him as his disciples. Number three, non-believers. He's praying for those in John 17 who are yet to believe in him. Who are we praying for who's a non-believer, family member, friend, neighbor, co-worker, classmate, never come to Christ at this point, but we're praying for that person to surrender his or her life to Christ. Number four, unity, John 17. He's praying for unity among those who are his followers. And church, let me say, when we come to Wednesday night, 
And we come the next Sunday morning, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together next Sunday morning and do the very thing he's asked us to do. We'll sing, we'll preach, privilege, we'll baptize, we'll give. And then at the end, we're going to vote on this faith-building proposal. I pray, church, that the Heavenly Father is glorified. And I pray we're going to walk out these doors next Sunday. And the testimony of unity in this church will be for the glory of God and for the witness in this community. I pray it will be incredible for what we're going to do as a church. And then number five, you pray for God's will. Jesus in the garden, the disciples around him just crying out to say, Father, your will be done, not mine. I just encourage you to pray for, pray for leaders. Pray for those who are believers. Pray for those who are not believers. Pray for those, again, who, who are just going along in life, but also pray for our unity. And then pray for the will of God in your life. God, what is your will in my life? Not what's easy. Not what's convenient, not just what's comfortable, but God, what is your will in my life? So I will know your will and I can do your will as you call me. So the enemy is still working, but the Lord is still praying. He is praying for you and for me. Number three, the disciple is still growing. As you look at this text in, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is gonna give a word to Peter and he says, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I'm not finished with you, I'm gonna use you. But the disciple is still growing, and here Peter is, even though he had been called and he had obeyed, he was following Christ, there was some imperfection in his life that needed to be sifted and some things that need to be changed in his life, and the Lord's going to grow him. Let me give you these words. Number one is bullseye. Peter was in the bullseye of the enemy. The enemy wanted him. The enemy wanted Job. The enemy wanted Peter. And he wanted to sift him like wheat. Now, again, Peter was in the bullseye of the Lord as well because the Lord says, Peter, I have prayed for you. And when this sifting is over, you're gonna get strengthened and you're gonna turn back. And I want you to be used to me. I want you to strengthen the brothers when you do that. But Peter was in the bullseye of the enemy, but also in the Lord. You have to realize when you walk faithful to Christ, you're in the bullseye of the enemy. We prayed this morning in our prayer time for pastors because pastors are in the bullseye of the enemy. If he can bring the pastor and the marriage and the family down, he can have so many victories in the midst of that. And that's why we have to realize Peter was in the bullseye. Many times you and I are there as well. Number two is permission. He says Satan demanded to have you. He asked for permission and the Lord's gonna give him permission. Because here again, you have to understand how the Lord's different than, than Satan very much. Because Satan thinks he's gonna destroy Peter but the Lord looks at us and says, I'm going to give you permission to sift him because in the end, Genesis 50, 20, Romans 8, 28, I'm going to develop him. He's going to be stronger, not weaker. His life is going to be so much more obedient to me then than it is now. So what you meant for evil, I'm going to use for good. I'm going to develop him because he loves me and I'm going to work in his life. So Satan asked for permission and the Lord granted it. What is Satan asking permission from the Lord to do in your life? How does he want to come against you? Number three, infirmities. We look at this text and we see in this context and then Peter responds back and Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter really didn't know what he was talking about. His mouth was heart for the Lord, but his heart was cold. Because Peter thought, hey, I'll go to prison. I'll go to jail for you. I'll even die for you, Lord. And the Lord's getting ready to say, Peter, you don't even know what you're talking about. I read an article recently about a, a very well-known Christian leader who ended up having a significant spiritual fall in his life. 
And I'm reminded, it's just I read the article and the Holy Spirit used it to say, you know, the, 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 if you're at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people, there's a great possibility you'll do the wrong thing. Just make sure you know where you're going. Make sure you know who you're hanging around with. Make sure you know what you're doing. And so when you look at it, there were infirmities. We see that in Peter. Again, his mouth was hot, his heart was cold. Number four is failure. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison or jail and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times or deny three times that you know me. Peter's going to fail. Here's good news today. How many of us in this room, when it comes to the the, the work of God, we, we failed in many ways. And Peter here is going to even deny that he knows the Lord Jesus. He's going to be around this campfire. All this is going to come out. Well, I don't even know him. And Peter goes into all these different discourses, but it's ultimately failure. But here's the good news. For Peter, his failure wasn't final. He's sifting him. Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Peter, he's not going to destroy you. When the sifting is over, you're going to be stronger. Some of those impurities of your life are going to be gone. And when you turn back to me, I want you to do this, Peter. I want you to go strengthen the brothers. Because even though you're going to fail me, that you deny me, I'm not finished with you. I'm still going to use you. In this room and watching, you may look at your life and you may feel like the enemy has said, God would never use you because you're such a failure. I mean, you've lived like he he doesn't even exist. You haven't been his witness. You haven't lived faithful to him. You've lived for this world and not him. He could never use you. Don't believe the lie from the enemy. Through the sifting process, your failure is not final. Let him work in your life. Look at word number five is grace. Peter experienced the amazing, matchless, marvelous grace of God. The grace of God. God's grace saves you and me. God's grace equips you and me. God's grace sustains you and me. Peter experienced the grace of God. And what do we see in Peter's life? The Lord looked at him after Peter denied him and Peter was weeping before the Lord and the sifting process has taken place. But again, he's failed, but it's not final. And Peter experiences the grace of God he could only experience in Jesus Christ. Only in the Lord. Word number six, effectiveness. Folks, when you read the book of Acts and you see Peter after his denial, after the resurrection, after the sifting process, what do you see? Peter had unbelievable courage to be faithful to Jesus. His life was radically transformed. And so what does the Lord want to do in your life? How does he allow sifting, suffering in your life to do what? To get the impurities out of your life so that you will be faithful to him, you'll be used of him, you'll experience his grace, and you will be effective in the Christian life. But it's all about Jesus. Dr. John DeSogno pastored in Houston, Texas for many, many years. He loved other pastors. He wrote books to other pastors and taught seminary courses, and he invested in so many of God's servants. And Dr. DeSogno used to talk about this, and he would say this oftentimes. He said, in the life of the church... Whenever you find yourself in a church and and there's a person being exalted over Jesus in the context of that church, Dr. Bisogno said this, and I still remember this quote. He said, when you're in a church, and again, a personality is being exalted greater than Jesus, 
He said, if you'll listen closely, you can hear the hiss of the serpent. Church, the Lord's doing a lot in this church. But we must always remember it's about him. Does he use God's word to grow us? Absolutely. Does he use prayer to draw us intimate with him? You better believe it. Does he use mission trips that we go on to draw us and disciple us? Absolutely too. Does he use relationships to help us grow as as his followers, learners? Yes, yes, yes. But church, never lose sight. The suffering that he allows you to go through, he can use that to develop you in the spiritual life. If the enemy has to have you and he wants to sift you as wheat and the Lord gives him permission to do so, he's allowed that sifting in your life not to hurt you, not to harm you, but to help you and to grow you because there's some impurities in your life he wants out of your life so that you will be faithful to him. I want us to bow our heads together as we pray. And today in this invitation in the room are those watching. I want to ask you again, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you do, why don't you just take like 10 seconds and just say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And if you know Jesus, have you followed him in believer's baptism? Baptism is not going to save you. Only Jesus would do that. But baptism is just a step of obedience to say to other people, Jesus has changed my life. I'm forgiven. I'm saved. I have the assurance I'm going to heaven. And as he was baptized in the Jordan River, I want to follow his example, his obedience. I want to be baptized as a believer in Christ. Why? Because I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed of the Lord Jesus at all. And just as he was crucified publicly on a cross for my sins, and he shed his blood that I could be forgiven and have the assurance of forgiveness and salvation in heaven, I need to be willing to stand publicly before other people and to say, Jesus is the Savior of my life, and I desire to follow him as the Lord of my life. Will you take that stand today? When it comes to a church family, it's not that we have to get together. Church, we get to come together. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who love the Lord and love us. And that we get to gather together and grow together and worship together and serve together, pray together, disciple one another together, share the gospel together. And if you're here whatever level you're at watching online, you want to be a part of a church family, come forward this morning. Let us know that. We'd love to talk to you about the importance of the Lord's church, what it means to be a part of his body, how he's gifted you and how he wants to use you in this church. And then in the room we're watching, how's the Lord calling you? He called Peter, a fisherman, to come in to follow him. How's he calling you? What does he want to do in your life? I'll never forget when the Lord called me in the ministry. Lord, Lord, of all the people in the world, why would you call me? I've got a purpose. I've got a plan for your life. And I just said, Lord, here am I. 
I surrender my life to you. What about you? How's the Lord calling you? It could be the vocational ministry. It could be to serve in this church in some way. How's he calling you? Obey the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And then let me ask you in this room, how's suffering in your life being used for his glory? Are you being sifted today? But the enemy's coming against you and there's some things that the Lord wants to remove in your life. Our prayer team's gonna be in front. Our pastoral staff will be here. I'm gonna be here in the middle. If you just need to come and get in this altar and just pray, oh Lord Jesus, the suffering, the sifting in my life, you're using it for a purpose and I don't wanna miss it. So Lord, help me to to endure, help me to understand, help me to have discernment, help me to be faithful that whatever you're wanting to teach me, that I walk away learning what you want me to know. How's he calling you? And then church, one more thing. This week is a historic week for this church. Wednesday night, next Sunday morning. The decision we're getting ready to make over the next seven days has been in the making for decades and is coming for such a time as this. And I would encourage us in this church, pastors, staff, leaders, members of this great church, let's don't let these decisions bring disunity to this church. Let's don't let these decisions divide us as God's people. Let's let these decisions allow us to make much of Jesus, to be united, be a witness in this community to other people. And I just encourage you to come to this altar today and pray for the mind of Christ as we go to Wednesday and to Sunday that, Lord Jesus, your will be done. Just as he prayed in the garden for the will to be done, let's pray for God's will to be done as well. And yes, he would be glorified and we'd be united. And here's the good news. We can come to him just as we are wounded, broken, all those things. And we leave changed because of the goodness of his grace and favor. Heavenly Fathers, we sing this beautiful hymn of invitation, just as I am. Lord, let this altar be filled with people today, making spiritual decisions, having a conversation with you, surrendering our lives to you, Lord Jesus. And the good news, we come just as we are, sometimes wounded, broken. We come a mess. But Lord, we leave healed, changed, and prepared to be used of you. And Father, move in our midst in this invitation as you've done throughout this service. Lord Jesus, allow even suffering and sifting to make us to be the people you want us to be. Sometimes things have to be removed for us to move forward. And God, we pray that in our lives, our marriages, our families, even as a church. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.